Hello, my friends, and welcome to PM School, an educational platform for women entrepreneurs aspiring to start, scale, and exit epic businesses. I'm your host, Steph Caldwell, businesswoman by day, personal development author, founder, and investor by PM. Come with me each episode as we go behind the scenes with epic entrepreneurs and with the epic experts who support them along their way. So grab your glass of wine, grab your biz bestie, because it is about to get real. Are you ready? Pull up your seat because class is in session. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of PM School. I am so excited to have you back. As you guys know, I don't do any advertising or anything like that on this show. So if you get value out of this episode, if you love what you learn, because trust me, it's an epic episode, then share this with a friend, share it on social media, give us a tag, just let other people know about the PM School mission so we can keep moving this show forward and bringing you epic guests like today's guest. Angie Lee, who is the co-founder of Soul CBD, literally the world's most delicious CBD vitamins and supplements. I personally found their Soul CBD gummies. I think it was the orange flavor to be absolutely unreal. I got them thanks to the Powerhouse Women Mastermind and got to give them a try. And ever since, just cannot get Soul CBD out of my mind. But that is just one product of many. They've got oil drops, gummies, capsules, rapid relief creams, stuff for the bath, stuff for your pet. Like seriously, self-care all the way, all day. And Angie Lee, let me tell you a little bit about her. She is such a badass. You have to follow her on Instagram because she is absolutely hilarious. Her community is called The Little Grandmas. She's epic. So a little bit about Angie. Angie is a marketing maven who found her soul's calling in helping women kick ass. She's a highly sought-after marketing mentor, keynote speaker, professional podcaster, and serial entrepreneur. On top of all of that, which I'm already out of breath, she is the co-founder of Soul, um, the author of a book called Ready is a Lie, and the creator of a top female personal development and business event, Pays to be Brave. Her Forbes Top 100 podcast, The Angie Lee Show, teaches thousands of ambitious women how to make friends with fear and make money doing what they love. You guys, Angie is the real deal. I am so honored and thrilled to introduce you to Angie Lee and welcome her to the PM School podcast. Angie, welcome to PM School. I'm truly like so thrilled to have you here. I follow you on Instagram. I think you're absolutely freaking hilarious and your products are exceptional. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. And I'm glad you think I'm funny because, you know, some people don't, but it's okay. (laughs) No, (laughs) Literally, like you posted this thing on Instagram. I think it was a few weeks ago. But you're wrapped up in a blanket, like walking through your kitchen and like looking like E.T. or something like that. And I was crying laughing. <laughs> I was just like, you know what? This is me in a nutshell. I'll just share with the Internet. I don't really care what people think anymore. You know, like you just get to a point where you care, but you don't care. <laughs> I was like, oh. he guessed me like that's me every morning, just screwing around, doing something funny with my husband. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> So the favorite question on this show, I get so much feedback on it, is asking every guest as a kiddo, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, man. Well, as a typical seven on the Enneagram and 
a very multi-passionate person. And I always say I was entrepreneur since diapers. I was always trying different things. I never had one career goal in mind. It changed probably every six months. But I would say everything from an actress to a marine biologist to a singer, which is hilarious because I can't sing, sing at all. Um, yeah, a news reporter. You know, I originally went to school with the intention of, of being a news reporter. I don't know why, because I hate the news and I hate the, I'm not going to talk about the weather all day either. So I'm not sure where that desire came from. So yeah, I would definitely say it was either uh, the weather girl, a talk show host or a marine biologist. What uh, a buffet of options. <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> how do we merge all of those careers into one? I love that. Well, I could be the the talk show host of, you know, a marine biology show or something. So <laughs> that, you know, I think that's what's coming in your next life. You're going to finally get to pursue that. By the no, way, I, marine biologist, I think is like the number one answer that I get on this show. Like everybody's like marine biologist and then, you know, like separately kind of dolphin trainer along those lines. <laughs> wow. I wonder why that is. I was actually texting back and forth with a girlfriend this week about it. And we uh, deduced it to the lady with the crazy school bus, I forget her name, like Miss Miss Fran or something like that. And then Lisa Frank, like that was our, our hypothesis. Wow. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's something to this. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> so you're this aspirational kiddo. You've got so many big dreams. Did you ever do any like entrepreneurial ventures when you were a little kid? Yeah. So I was always wanting to make things and sell them. I always was that kid who had the lemonade stand or I would make cookies and sell them on the corner. I made these hideous bracelets with, they were super tacky and had like glue gun or the glue gun glue all over them. And I would put them in a bowl and, and sell them to my neighbors. And yeah, this was actually in, in Wheaton. So I grew up in Wheaton outside of Chicago and I would ring the doorbell of my neighbors. I was like seven or eight. And I would be like, Hey, you need this jewelry in your life. And Obviously, these people felt bad for me. So they were like, she's eight years old. We'll give her a dollar, you know? So I I was always that kid. I always loved sales and, and creating something that you love and that you're obsessed with and then telling somebody about it. So I think I always naturally loved humans and marketing and, and doing that. And yeah, I mean, my mom said that if I had an idea, I would come home and type it up on, on the Word doc and be like, okay, this could be a business, right? And she's like, sure, why not? Go ahead, try it. And so... My parents were very uh, supportive of my creativity and, and my ambition to do uh, random things like that. I mean, my dad's very entrepreneurial, you know, high school dropout. So I think I, I saw somebody who was hungry and created something out of nothing. So I grew up with that energy in my house. But it wasn't until college that I actually started businesses that made some money versus, you know, the lemonade stands and things like that. So I grew up in Bloomingdale, Illinois, which is <laughs> next door to Whitney. And similarly, had the lemonade stand, did the hemp bracelets and all of that. So I'm just like, like seeing our lives in like parallel tracks. My dad was an entrepreneur. And it's just, it's so funny to, to think that, you know, there's like the nature versus nurture. Is it just in the DNA to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's so interesting. I do think it's, I think it's a mix of both. You know, I always say, I think you either have it in you or you don't, because I think it's a crazy gene and it's the best kind of crazy, but I think it's either in you or it's not. And I think it's, I think it's it's awesome if it is and it's awesome if it's not as well. I don't think it's for everyone, you know? And so I do think you either have it in you to want to 
create something out of nothing and work for yourself and be obsessed with novelty and change and love that. Or you're like, uh, that sounds like a nightmare. You know, my mom, like she's completely the opposite. She's like, I would hate to do that. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to run my own business. Like I want to support someone else. I want to know what I'm doing every day and it'd be the same. So I think everybody's so different, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think it, I mean, it really does take all time to make the world go around because, you know, what is an entrepreneur if they don't have a team to support the, the vision? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So you're this entrepreneurial little kid out going door to door, selling all of your creation, building business plans in Word, which is amazing, by the way. And you said that you decided to go to school to study journalism. Tell us a little bit about your path to uh, formal education and what, you know, what that time taught you. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I think at the time I knew when I was heading there, I went to Mizzou, uh, which is in St. Louis. I always knew that I probably wasn't going to last that long, to be fully honest. There was never... There was never this sense of like, all right, and then Angie's going to be walking across the stage at graduation. I kind of just felt like I had to go. It was the next step. And this was still when, God, this is 20, 2009, 2010. Yeah, this is still when it kind of was still the norm to go to college. Now I think it's becoming, we're still at, you know, the iceberg of it, the tip of it, but or sorry, the tip of the iceberg. But I, I do feel like back then it was still a little bit the norm to go to college in order to be successful. And so I went and I thought, well, I'll just be a broadcast journalist. I love speaking. Um, I want to be on camera. Like this, this will be a great job for me. And I went. And then after two and a half years of not really showing up to class because I was blogging or starting businesses or thinking about everything else other than school, I was like, you know what? I'm wasting my time and my money here. I might as well leave. So yeah, I studied broadcast journalism and then also dietetics there. So I was kind of bouncing between, okay, will I be the weather girl? Will I be a nutritionist? What will this look like? And then eventually it just got to the point where I was like, you know, I, I think I just need to be done with this because I have a feeling that whatever I do, I'm not going to need a resume. And that was the only thing I knew for sure. And so, I mean, I wasted a lot of money and a lot of time, but after about two and a half years, I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave here. <laughs> so, so I left and yeah, I mean, you tell me if you want me to go more in depth, but it, it was definitely an interesting moment. And it's one of those moments that I remember because I remember being so so happy. I was like, this is the best day ever. I'm free. I'm free to go be who I want to be and and start something of my own versus feeling like I'm in this box. You know, I felt like school was jail for me as a kid who was very creative and had ADHD and was very entrepreneurial. The traditional schooling system is a nightmare. And so for me, since four years old, going to preschool till 2021, 20, when I dropped out, like it, it was just always... <laughs> A constant fight for me, you know? Yeah, I actually, my older brother had ADHD and he and I are really close in age. And so we actually ended up going to the same university and, and are, are super close to this day. And when we reflect on our like education experiences, I'm very like type A linear for the most part, always did well in school. He is extraordinarily creative. He can get so much done so fast when he has like the moments where he can focus because he's like really passionate and finds flow but he was miserable in school and so it's interesting hearing your story I imagine that your parents sound like they're educated and or maybe not like in the formal sense but I imagine that they may have had a few words with you when you decided to leave school what was that conversation you had with them and, and what was the outcome yeah it's such a good question you know it's interesting because Part of them was upset, but the other part of them, the other part of, of their heart was happy. So I think they were 
they almost didn't know how to feel. And and so I remember calling my mom. I walked out of the counselor's office and I was like, hey, I'm going to quit. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I know there's only so many spots for this dietetics program. I did all of these organic chemistry classes and I, you know, bust my butt to try to even pass them just so I could get into this nutrition program. And it just got to the point where I was like, what am I doing? I can't even pass some of these classes. I'm wasting my time. So I go into quit and I'm going down the elevator and I call my mom and I'm like crying because I'm so happy. And I was like, mom, uh, I just quit college. <laughs> She's like, I'm not surprised. I've been waiting for this call my entire <laughs> life. And I was like, what? What do you mean? She's like, Angie, do, you, do I do I really, you know, did I really think that you were going to finish college? I was like, I don't know. And so it was like they always knew, but they didn't want to say anything. And I think what was really beautiful for my mom to say, and I realized that this is a, a privilege to have this type of parent, you know, they definitely weren't perfect, but I did have this at least in them is they wanted me to go fly. I remember my mom saying like, just go fly, Angie. I'm not worried about you. There's, you have something in you that you just always figure it out. And I think that grit will take care of not having a degree. So just go fly. And I was like, okay. And I remember <laughs> driving back home to my little apartment in Chicago being like, what do I do now? What do I do? This is crazy. <laughs> I don't have homework anymore. What do you do? I have no one to report to. So yeah, they were definitely pretty, pretty nice about it. I think they still wanted me to at least finish just to be safe, quote unquote. But the more that I expressed to them that I'd rather like literally do the most odd jobs for the rest of my life than, than work in a corporate setting. They understood. And I'm just so unemployable. You know, I, I'm not, I just can't. I mean, I'm, I always joke. I'm like, whoever would hire me, would, I'd be the worst. So I do think that they just knew. And my mom knew I was very similar to my dad in that way. So she was like, listen, he figured it out. You can figure it out. And yeah, you're, it's your life. I mean, you're over 18. What, what can we really do or say right now? It's you that has to pay off the debt. It's you that has to figure it out. So yeah, <laughs> that was kind of the response. Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, how incredible that they're so supportive or it sounds like, you know, they were very supportive. And also, I just think it's so funny, you know, when we make big sweeping decisions in our lives and they feel like, us, you know, like we, we were maybe like blindsided by them to some extent. And then the people around us are like, oh, yeah, we always knew you're going to do that. You're like, what? <laughs> how did you know? Why didn't I know? Yeah, that is very interesting for my mom to be like, oh, I've been waiting for this call my whole life. I'm like, why did you say anything? She's like, well, I don't know. I wanted to see you actually go here. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I wanted to see if you'd actually do it. I'm like, oh my gosh. So, okay, so you're 19. You decided you're going to drop out. But I think that you had already started what would be your first company. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so what I was doing at the time, I didn't really have the intention to monetize it. I didn't really realize it was a business because again, this is 2009, 2010, blogs were somewhat popular. Monetizing on the internet was kind of a thing, but not like it is today. There wasn't really like influencers. There sort of was, but if you were, it was like a very interesting odd job. Now you could walk down the street in certain cities and, and tell someone you're an influencer and they would say, oh, so you get paid by brands. Okay. Makes sense. But this is, you know, things have changed in the last 11 years. They've changed a lot. And so I kind of anticipated the technological boom or revolution in a sense, I was like, okay, I feel like this is going to change connection and commerce forever. I always kind of felt that way. I'm like, you know what? I feel like people are going to pay to read blogs or listen to podcasts. Or what if I can get some granola brand to pay me to, to talk about their granola on my wellness blog? And so I was a personal trainer on campus. I was going to people's homes to train. I was obsessed with nutrition and wellness. So I just started to share about it. I would share tips on the internet. And slowly... I started to study digital marketing and I was like, wait, can you create an ebook with workouts and, and nutrition plans and then sell them? This is crazy. Oh my gosh, I have to try this. So I started to just make it up as I go. I was like, oh, let me just put this together in a 
you know, at the time it was probably the most hideous ebook in the world. And I would promote it on my social media, on my Facebook and my Instagram and on my blog and people started buying it. And I remember the moment where a woman purchased it who lived like thousands of miles away and it was like $60. And I remember thinking like, this is it. I made it. Like I've made it. I made my first $60, you know? And I called my mom and I was like, mom, some lady just bought my service for $60. Like she bought the ebook and she's like, oh, that's interesting. That's a thing. And I was like, yeah, this is like a thing right now. So it would be, it was very like, it was very odd jobs here and there. So I would create an ebook or I would start coaching then. Then I started fitness coaching online. And then, like I said, with the granola brand, I started reaching out to random wellness companies and asking them if they would pay for space on my blog. And at the time, that was still kind of new. So they were like, uh, what do you mean? Ad space is usually for Google. And then that's about it. And I remember the first granola brand gave me like 20 bucks. And again, I was like, I'm rich. Oh, oh my gosh. Now I have, you know, a hundred bucks this week. And so everything just kind of grew very slowly like that. But it started with just figuring it out, figuring it out along the way. And I would literally Google how to make money on the internet. And I just started teaching myself digital marketing and then obviously, you know, hiring mentors and it, it all started from there. But it's interesting. That's kind of, that was the first thing that I monetized while I was personal training is I, I learned how to monetize wellness coaching on the internet, eventually was able to fully leave training, made that full time. And then years later, got into actually teaching women digital marketing. But it all started with literally me just sharing about burpees and pushups and making these little eBooks. And then girls started reaching out saying, Hey, how do I work with you? Can you coach me? And I was like, sure. PayPal me. You know, I'd make up a random amount. They pulled out of my butt. Like the business started just from me not even realizing what was happening and what was going on. I think it's different now because these things are more common. But 11 years ago, it was still a little bit, not taboo, but it was just a little weird. You couldn't really tell your parents like, hey, I'm selling ebooks online. They'd be like, well, what are you doing? So yeah, that's kind of was the first business, <laughs> the very, very first digital one. And then my brother and I started a food distribution company because I thought of this genius idea. Well, I thought it was genius. Little did I know it would, it would cost us a ton of money and we'd end up being in the red from it. But I was like, Mike, why are healthy meals not delivered to people's doorsteps? Like this needs to be a thing. And at the time, there was like a few of them in the freezer aisle at like Whole Foods, but there wasn't, I mean, gosh, what, there's hundreds now, these healthy meal deliveries to your doorstep, right? But I was like, Mike, this is a thing. We got to do this. He's, we have no experience in the restaurant industry. We have no experience in food or any of this. What are we doing? I'm like, I don't know, but I think this is the future. We got to do this. So <laughs> my brother, who's my opposite is, oh God, all right, I'll figure out the finances. Let's hire some chefs. We got a space in Chicago and we started... We start. I'm laughing because it's like, well, what, what was I doing? Oh my god! We started Thrive Meals, and we would go around sampling at different wellness events our food, and we literally had no money, but we somehow paid the chef, and we got this little kitchen that we rented out downtown. And after months and months of doing it, I think it was almost a year, where finally Mike was like, "Hey, Andrew, we can't do this anymore. This is just not making sense." The food industry, for anyone listening, and I'm sure you know this stuff, it's the worst industry to be in ever because there's horrible margins. Your overhead is astronomical and the food spoils. So if you don't sell the food, you just lost out on a ton of money. So that was the, that was kind of the more legitimate business that we started that we just, again, it was always kind of us figuring it out as we go. But then there came a time where he was like, hey, we need to like close this out. So yeah, those were like the first two things right, right while I was quitting that I was like trying to make work and figure out. So I am like obsessed with that story. You're, you're so amazing. Uh, it's so funny now that I think yeah. about it. I'm like, oh my God, how it's so embarrassing, but it's great. <laughs> no, I mean, it was the you know, like original concept for like Instacart or Freshly or 
you know, like everything that now is so obvious, like you, you had such a, like, you had such a seed of an idea there. I know. I always joke with Mike. I'm like, oh, we could have been zillionaires. Okay. Like, (laughs) no. Yeah. But if you've noticed, everyone who starts them has some experience in the food industry and had more just funding. Like we need outside funding. We're not gonna be able to build this without some funding. So it was just such a funny, interesting moment. And now ironically, Mike is my co-founder and so he's the CEO. So he runs it now in that now is a successful company, but it, it's funny because I remember always telling him like, hey, someday we'll start another business together and, and that one will actually be successful. And he's okay. <laughs> so I was just about to ask, like when you guys were closing down, was it Bright Food? Could you have predicted that this is where you and your brother would be now with a second business, but this one a lot more thoughtful of an approach, I guess? <laughs> yeah, I always knew. I think um, I'm so grateful that Mike is... Uh, the sounding board and the the logical reason to some of these crazy ideas I have. But I, I think that now looking back, that one had no logic and reason really to it. It was just like, you know, it's got to check off at least a few things. Like I'm a huge fan of take the crazy risk, do the crazy thing. But like the food industry, we should have been like red flag. No, we're literally, there's no profit in this. And so when we thought of the concept of soul, he was like, okay, I don't want the same thing to happen again. Mike's a little bit more risk averse. I'm, I love risk. I'm like, let's lose it all. Let's go. So we're complete opposites. And so it was interesting when he was nervous again, he's like, well, how much are we putting into this? What, what if this happens? What if that happens? And so we would, we sat down and went through all of the worst case scenarios because he was a little afraid for, to lose a crap load of money again. <laughs> but I was like, let's go. We're going to make money online with CBD. And so now he laughs. He's like, okay, that one was a good idea. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. So I've, I've, uh, been a fan of I heard a uh, thought leader at one point then I wish I could attribute it uh, but I, I can't remember the the person's name that every everybody needs like a starter startup because they essentially teach you all the lessons that you get to wake up and apply in your next endeavor what would you say was like the biggest you know lessons you took away from you know the fitness like the digital fitness concept that you had going and the food concept you had going mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously something that everyone listening knows and, they, and they've heard in some capacity, but it's the truth that I think always wins. And I always say, and this is why I've kind of coined this term ready as a lie, it's the truth is I, we've never known everything before we started. I mean, Mike and I were not experts in cannabis. Like we should have not been able to build now an eight figure brand in cannabis. Like that's just not, we shouldn't have, somebody else should have, right? But we were just really gritty and we decided to keep Googling and keep hiring out until we figured it out. And so I'm just a huge fan of starting and then figuring it out. I think that is the secret to success in business. I think too many people are just waiting. They're waiting to have all the answers. They're waiting to be smart enough. They're waiting for sometimes even outside funding when sometimes, yes, that's necessary, but sometimes it's not. And you just got to go and first have proof of concept. So I'm a huge fan of getting messy and learning from the mess versus waiting for all of my ducks to be in a row or waiting for all of the answers. So that's a skill that, you know, I had to bring to Mike. And then he brings a lot of the, the, the logic and reasoning and finances and all the other stuff to soul that I, I, you know, couldn't do without him. But the biggest value that I think I bring is that concept of let's just start. Let's literally just start. Let's get a few customers. Okay. What was their feedback? Okay. Let's fix the site. Okay. Who's going to do our site? Like I literally remember us just taking it day by day versus looking at the entire you know, elephant that we had to eat. I was like, let's just take this one step at a time and keep making messes and keep making mistakes and go into it knowing we're going to mess up. Go into it knowing there's going to be points where we lose money. At the end of the day, yes, I want it successful, but we cannot go in with a perfectionist mindset. We have to go in knowing that we're going to mess up a little bit. So 
we've had to like really work on that while we're building this. And now we finally, after three, four years in Seoul, we finally feel like we're over the crazy newbie um, humps or hills where it's very painful that we feel like, okay, like we, we can see the big picture now. So I, I love that. It sounds like you guys both really benefit from each other because you just think so differently and have such different approaches. But I get the sense that there's like really open and transparent communication, which kind of is the bridge that allows all of it to work. So I guess I'm curious, you know, like you guys said, shut down this business. You are a digital marketing, you know, probably expert at this point because of everything that you guys had been creating. At what point did you start to feel the pull towards this idea of creating, you know, CBD wellness brand? Yeah. Well, I was taking it for anxiety as an entrepreneur. I was doing digital marketing events. I was doing all that stuff in the fitness business space and like was a professional athlete at the time using CBD for recovery. And he came to me and said, I love this stuff. Like you've got to start taking this. It's really helpful. I think this is the future of holistic health. Like this is going to be the next, I don't know, a natural pain reliever, right? Like this is becoming a big thing. And this is about six years ago before CBD was really big and, and what it is today. It obviously, it was still big, but not as big as it is now. And we were at lunch one day and I was like, why don't we create a business? Why don't we do this? I want a physical product. I don't just want digital products. I love the physical product space. The thought of one of the girls in my audience, like buying it and then being able to touch it and it be in her house and, it, and help her with her wellness. Like that just makes me so happy. Let's do that. And again, he was like, oh God, here we go again. And I was like, no, I think we could figure this out. And so at the time, I already had an audience. So I, there was a little bit more of a, a strategic angle to this one. I was like, okay, I feel like we already have a group of people that will buy this. And then from there, we can kind of you know grow and go from there. So yeah, that's, that's where he was like, all right. And he, um, yeah, he was in his career as an athlete and wanted to eventually transition out and wanted something on the side to start building. So we decided to kick it off. We put our own money into it at the time. Thank goodness I had been saving up then from the money I was making doing a lot of online coaching. And so we didn't start with any outside funding at all. I was like, hey, we do this. I'll put the money in. I'll put the initial money in. You put only a little bit. That's how much I believe in this. We could do this. And he was like, okay. And man, thank goodness for him because he's really the, the brains and the bones behind it. I'm more just a creative, but it, it, was, it was definitely one of those scary moments again. <laughs> I can only imagine, especially like when it comes to putting your own capital, but I also think that there's some element to when it's you and you're all in, it's kind of like the only path is forward and it, it's got to be figured out. So we're going to figure it out. I'm curious, so you guys come up with this idea. One of the things that I really adore about your product is I have tried CBD back when it was just kind of emerging and then really died away from it because I just really didn't like the flavor. Like it was very potent. You guys have managed it's excellent product, like delicious product. What was the first step? Was it like pre-launching through marketing? Was it formulating the product? Do so you guys go from idea to, to what next? Yeah, these are great questions. Yeah, in the beginning, you just have to find your first supplier. So we would literally go to farms. We were literally at farms in Kentucky, meeting with CBD suppliers and then meeting with website developers. So we could set up our e-commerce. Our shipping station was in my guest bedroom in LA at the time. So we literally like, okay, we have shipping. We've got the stickers. Okay, we've got a website going up. It's kind of janky, but whatever. We'll just, you know, get something up. Okay, labels and branding. Well, you know, that now I look back at our first version and I don't think it's IQ, but I love that it. it's, it was enough and it's so ready as a lie. It's, okay, let's put some waves on it. We'll figure that out. Like we just kind of looked at everything on a whiteboard. What do we need to do? So we kept flying out to different farms to get really high quality CBD. Mike was figuring all that out. 
I was figuring out the website stuff, getting all the brandy down. We couldn't even think of a name for a while. We're like, oh my God, what do we name this thing? Like, we don't know. All the names I wanted were taken. So it was just such a headache, such a shit show. And then, yeah, then from there, you constantly are refining with your supplier. So you're constantly working in research and development for the tastes and everything like that. But we we both agreed, hey, let's just get our first like 100 customers and then let's ask them for feedback. So then from there, we can get bigger SKUs essentially when you're ordering, you know, it's it's more expensive in the beginning because you're only buying like 100 to 200 of these SKUs, but now we're buying them in the thousands. So he was kind of like, all right, to be smart, let's start small, get feedback, edit from that, and then we can kind of expand on our flavors and everything. And in the beginning, it was just me, Mike, and two assistants that were helping out, but it was us packaging everything, shipping everything out, um, one customer service person. I mean, it was very small. It wasn't until, gosh, a year and a half ago that we now have a team of 16 to 20 people that are working on the company, but it wasn't, I mean, in the beginning, it was literally just us figuring it out really messy. Mike would be on calls with farmers and all the suppliers. And I was like trying to figure out the website stuff with this guy we hired to do the website. Like it was just kind of messy. And I I want people to hear that because I don't think it's, I think a lot of people sell it as being very sexy and smooth. And it's not, it's, it's not. And, And one thing we did very smart is we hired somebody who was three years ahead of us who is still a good friend, which is awesome that it's a very collaborative uh, versus competitive industry. He's doing great. And we reached out and we were like, hey, can we pay you for some consulting calls? And can we ask you questions about merchant processors and just tell us about this space? Because it is obviously a little bit more difficult to sell CBD. And he would tell us like basically everything. And that helped a ton. So Mike would just take all of these notes and we'd go back and we'd edit stuff and dealt with all the headaches from the merchant processing. So it was just like taking things in chunks. It wasn't until probably two years in that we were, we were able to have what I call fun with the marketing. And now we have money to have cute labels. And now we've got a whole new, you know, fun website. And now what I consider the fun stuff wasn't able to come until years in. I mean, we weren't even able to do boxes and stuff until, you know, gosh, a year and a half ago, two years ago. I mean, we could have, but it's just, it doesn't make sense. You know, boxes are really expensive. All this adds up. So it's like, you have to take everything in chunks. And so that was really, that is still really hard for me as somebody who wants that immediately. But I always remember that being kind of the big goals. You know, hopefully we'll make enough that we can have these really pretty boxes and, and envelopes and stuff that we ship stuff in. So yeah, it's it's kind of messy in the beginning. It definitely is, especially when it's your own money. And we weren't sure, you know, Mike was, Mike went to Notre Dame for finance. So I think a huge part of him, probably he's more similar to you than me, but he was like, okay, if we get outside funding, let me explain to you how this works, Ange. Like we're eventually one day, if and when we sell this, like they're going to take a big chunk of this. And I was like, no. And he was like, well, but they're going to help us out though in the beginning. And so we were just so like, what do we do? Because we totally could have got outside funding. Mike had these connections where he could have got a few million dollars for us to start. But I was like, I don't know. I don't want someone to come in and take 40 to 50% of this, you know? And so we decided to start Gritty, see if it was first a viable product, see if it could even make money, see if people liked it. And then from there, Mike said he's open to bringing in outside investors, but he first wanted to do it grassroots and gritty and cheap in a sense, not cheap, but you know what I mean? And, and then go from there. And so that's what we did. I think we put, what, $75,000 in. And at the time, I mean, that was a chunk of my money, obviously. I was like, all right, here we go. I'm either never going to see this again or it'll end up paying off one day. So again, thank God I like risk because I was like, all right, wrote a check for 75 grand. And I was like, let's buy our first batch of tinctures. And we started with just tinctures. And then now it's expanded into a ton of different SKUs. But in the beginning, we only had, what, three or four SKUs? That is such an awesome story. And I think oftentimes kind of the the question on any founder's mind is, okay, like first 
you know, build the product, do it small, get feedback, then you grow it to bigger and bigger. The type of person that can, you know, run a, you know, uh, multiple 10 figure, multiple six figure operation isn't always the type of person that can run, you know, an eight figure, multiple eight figure and beyond type of operation. What would you say has like really helped you along the way as you've kind of embodied the, the kind of person that can run an operation the size that you're running currently? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, in full transparency, having having Mike be the one who's running it fully day to day, I think, gosh, he thank God he's such like a servant, humble leader. Like he's such a great guy who's able to communicate well. And he, he's he is, I think, the epitome of a really good leader who's willing to listen to his team and give back and, and change when he needs to. And he's done a really good job. He wa- he went into it not with like this ego of, okay, I have this all figured out and this is going to make zillions of dollars. If anything, Mike was like, oh my gosh, we don't know what we're doing. Let's ask as many questions as possible. Let's get as much help as possible. Let's listen to every single customer. I mean, we would write handwritten notes to every single customer in the beginning. Like we were so like grassroots with it because we wanted to first see if it could work and really see if people liked it. And I think that he now has had to just develop different skills and hire more people. I think that's the unsexy answer that people don't want to hear, but you just, you eventually just need more help because you, could only do so much and you only know so much. So now it's where we're having discussions with people who have way more experience in DTC and who, you know, are, have, you know, a hundred million dollar companies who are like, Hey, this is how we grew. Cause just like you said, what gets you from 1 million to 10 million isn't, isn't the same. And or well, that I think that can kind of be in the same range, but what's going to get you from 10 to let's say 50 is we know it's not going to be the same. So we're kind of in that situation now where we're like, Oh, who, who does that look like as far as our team? What does that look like as far as our organization of this, our infrastructure? Do we need to hire more people? Who do we need to hire? Who do we, who do we need to fire? Like it, it gets, starts to get to be a lot because it's, yeah, it's interesting. I heard that once and I never understood that, but like what got you to one point won't get you to necessarily the next. So I think that's the growing pains that we're in now is thinking of what is that going to look like? Yeah, I'm curious and, and feel free to put this question if it's uncomfortable, but in venture capital backed companies, especially like the name of the game can oftentimes be growth at all costs. And a lot of times that means that these companies aren't profitable, at least not early on. At what point did you and your brother like start talking about profitability? Was that the name of the game from day one, considering you were, you were bootstrapping it or how, what was that journey? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm, gosh, it, it's so cool because you probably, you ironically probably know, I mean, not, it's not ironic. You know more about this in, in this world than I do, which is so cool because I can tell you're like so smart around this. I've been learning as I go, but I had to learn a lot of this just as we went in from. We're profitable right now. And what's interesting is a lot of these companies aren't because they're spending so much on their marketing where Mike is a little bit more, hey, let's stay profitable because Obviously, our goal is to sell. We've always had the intention to sell. We built this to sell it. And so I'm very open about that. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think knowing what game you're in and knowing if this was a fashion line, I maybe I'd own it for 30 years and have fun with it and keep going. But CBD is just so volatile that it, we never had the intention to just build it just to build it. It was always to sell. Now it's just a matter of when. Is it is it in you know 15 months? Is it in three years? We're kind of riding different waves, talking to different people. But And we then brought in an investor who's been really helpful. But it's, it is interesting because we're constantly kind of in those discussions and, and Mike is really managing a lot of those finances when it comes to, okay, let's stay profitable because I guess on paper to, to, to sell it, that looks different than if you were just to build it, just to build it and not sell it. 
one day. So I'm learning that there's a huge difference between that. You know, there's a, that book built to sell it. He literally breaks down like, hey, if you're building a company to sell, it's very different what you need it to look like on paper in order to just build it, just to build it. So for example, like the Angie Lee brand, my digital stuff, influencer marketing, all that, I'm not planning to ever sell that. That is me. I can't really sell that. So I don't, that's like just a different mindset going into it, you know, but yeah, it's all very, it's all very overwhelming yet fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I appreciate the transparency there because I think the more like women hear these types of conversations, especially around like how people think about financing their businesses and growing them to, you know, the point where they are profitable and and can sustain themselves is is just, we need to to normalize that more to get more women excited about the potential of entrepreneurship. Yeah. I think it, I think you need both in your company. You know, I think there's Mike brings in logic and sanity and it's just funny, even as a kid, he'd always save his pennies in his little piggy bank in his room, you know, Ooh, maybe I want to buy something one day. And the minute I made money from chores, I'm like, I'm going out and spending it. We're literally the polar opposite. So I, there are moments where he's, should we do this? Should we invest in this or put money into this? And I'm like, yes, like the quote, what scared money doesn't make money. So I'm always like, okay, let's do it. Like we have to do it. And then he's, okay, wait, what if we did it this way? I don't want to, you know, go too crazy. So he's a little bit more risk averse in that sense. So I do think every organization though needs both voices because both are really powerful. One's going to keep you grounded and one's going to remind you to, to, be in the clouds and shoot for the the sky because I don't think you build, I just truly don't believe people build hundred million plus dollar, you know, hundred million dollar plus companies from thinking always sane either. I think you have to be a little risky. I I do. I just think that's the reality of of growing a massive company. Anybody we've talked to in that space who's done that, it's like they took risks at times. So that's kind of what we're weighing out now is when do we risk and when do we play it safe? Yeah. So this is totally switching gears. But one thing we haven't talked about is, okay, so listener, Angie's doing all of this, building this epic business. Please go try their products. And at the same time, there's the Angie that I like have experienced online. I had no idea that you even had like a CBD line at at first. I just thought that you were kind of like an epic author, podcaster, you know, online personality. I would describe like your intersection points, like women, wellness, inspiration, personal development, and comedy. How has that like at one, like, how do you balance doing all the things? And two, what has that brought to soul that is just like the secret sauce to why it all works? Mm, wow, those are such good questions. Yeah, I don't think it's a, a balance. I think there's seasons, right? Um, I think right now I'm in the season of really wanting to step more into Wallace and share more of that. I think it's what women need. I think it's my, I've always been passionate about it. Obviously it's my first love. It'll always be. And so I kind of go in seasons with things. I intuitively feel out what does my community need? What am I most passionate to speak on right now? And I also think they complement each other really well. I do believe that in order to be a successful entrepreneur or just any woman who's a career woman, I think you have to stay healthy. I, I think it's so important to take care of your mental health, your physical body. I'm obsessed with it. I think that's my number one secret to how I have energy. It's everything. I, I take care of my health and it's my number one priority. So I kind of see it as like I ebb and flow my content as I keep it relevant to what I'm currently wanting to consume and or teach. And so it, it stays relevant in that way. I definitely have help. I don't have a huge team. I keep it pretty simple. I have people helping me to keep things organized because I don't want to <laughs> organize a bunch of things. So I have help in that capacity. Um, and then, yeah, I think what it really brings to soul is I'm very, um, I'm very obsessed with humans and psychology and my community and answering all my DMs. And I'm very close to the, the consumer. I am the consumer. I love the consumer. And so I'm not in the spreadsheets all day. I'm not in the analytical 
place. I'm not looking at numbers. Like I'm not, that's not me. It may never be me and that's okay. I'm thinking about Sarah in Iowa who needs our gummies. Why does she need it? What is she thinking? What does she do all day? What does she think of CBD? Does she know about CBD? So when I come to these meetings, I'm like, hey guys, this is what she's thinking. This is the words that she likes to use in the marketing. This is what we should put on the website. So I'm kind of the voice for the community and I'm able to kind of bounce ideas. And I, I look at every single DM pretty much at this point. And I'll also screenshot ones with what people loved or you know what they thought about a flavor or whatever it may be or how it helps them. So I'm able to then give that to the team. So I think I bring that perspective. And then as the creative, I love naming the products. I love coming up with what is the next product? Why do people need it? Identifying the pain points. I'm very focused on that. So the team, they do all the finances, the ordering, all the other stuff. And then I come on the meeting and I'm like, hey, okay, we need a gummy for period cramps. Girls need that. Like, here's why, here's what it's called. And so I kind of come in and just give the big picture concept. <laughs> and then the integrators are like, usually they'll initially tell me, okay, that idea is very expensive. So let's break it down. <laughs> and they usually tear it down right away. And then I'm like, hold on, hear me out. This is why it's going to work. And so we kind of just go back and forth until we can figure out the overlap between the creative idea, what the market needs, how we can afford that, and what that looks like. But my obsession is the customer. I, I've always been obsessed with the customer. I, that's what I love to do. I love to chat with Sarah in Iowa and hear why she liked our gummies. That's what I want to do all day. I don't, and, and create content, obviously. I don't want to be the person, the CEO, I should say. So I'm always very honest about that with Soul. I tell women, I'm like, listen, I'm not the CEO of this company. I'm the creative. I'm the spokesmodel. I want to create content. I want to talk to the customer, but that's what I want to do and what I do best. I don't want to be in the weeds, if you put me in it, we'd probably make $12 a year. And it just wouldn't be the best use of my time. You know, I just, it wouldn't really be my, what do they say? Zone of genius. So I, yeah, that's kind of what I've had to get clarity on is what am I good at? What do I suck at? How do I organize that schedule? You know? Yeah, I'm literally laughing so hard over here because it's the, those that feel that they can be transparent about what their zone of genius is. I think I have so much respect and admiration for because when you, like snap into those roles. And when you have the right team that's all snapped into their zone of genius, like that's kind of where greatness is born as far as I'm I'm concerned. There's a thought leader that I, I love and they say that like for any founder, there's three dials that you're working with. The first is like customer obsessed. The second is how determined you are. And the third is how smart you are. And the, the thought leader is like the, the person behind like some of the world's like coolest investments, like Airbnb. And he says like every single day, I'll take customer obsessed and determined over any other combination that includes smart. And I think it's just such a testament, like when you're that close to the consumer, when you're obsessed with what she cares about and like how your product fits into her world, that's how great products are born. And it really shows in, in your guys' products. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's consumer first. It takes a little bit longer. It's tedious. It's time consuming. I'm not going to lie. It's time consuming. But I believe that the brands that have longevity and, and the ones that, you know, I always just use Sarah and I was the avatar, the one where she's going to tell her friend, hey, she actually messaged back, like where she actually sent a voice message when I told her that the gummies helped my grandma with, you know, her sleep or something like I, we literally go through and I'll tell my brother, hey, go talk to these 10 people. He'll say, go talk to these 10. And we're like voicing our influencers or voicing our customers. And I'm just like, who else is doing that? We are actually going to do that. And I, I just so believe that's what separates you in the long run. And if I can outsource other parts of my life, so I have the time to still be that person, I think that is the secret. So a lot of my outsourcing is more of just day-to-day -day things in my life. So then I have the energy and time to be that person with my community. So I, I kind of see myself as a community builder. You know, I, I don't even, I use the word entrepreneur, but I, I actually just use the word creator and, and community builder more because I think that's the, the secret. And anybody listening that wants to start a physical product line, whether it's 
I don't care if it's, you know, <laughs> makeup or fashion or wellness, whatever it is. First, obviously build a community. I think it doesn't need to be millions of people, but build at least a thousand super fans, people who want this product, this in, have expressed this felt need, and then actually talk to them. And the beauty of being new is that you can actually have conversations with them. There's a there's value to that. I mean, when we had our first 200 customers, we literally could hand write them letters and we could call them and, and we could talk to them. Now it's, it's thousands of people. So it's a little bit more difficult, but I think there's beauty to being a small business because you can keep that intimacy. I guess, I guess what I'm explaining is intimacy, you know, and trying to scale intimacy is, is I, I think it can be possible. I think it's difficult, but I think that's what we're always trying to figure out. You know, we had a consultant who came in and we did a full one day workshop and he said, who, uh, he went through all of our stuff and he goes, okay, this guy right here, he pulled him up in our, our records. He goes, this guy has spent over $5,000 with you guys this year. Like one of our top, top customers or something. Right. And we're like, okay, he's haul him right now. And I'm like, what? He's haul him. This is what separates companies from other. He will never buy from another company again. You have to call him. I'm like, what do you want me to say to this guy? He's like, say, thank you. Like he's, he's, you know, putting so much money into this, into your brand. And so we like literally get out our phones and we call this guy. I just remember laughing and being like, this is such a funny, weird thing to do. But imagine if companies did this. Like there's companies that I spend a lot of money with that I would pee my pants if the owner or somebody from their company called me, you know, to just be like, thanks. I'd be like, oh my God, this is so nice. So I think Mike and I are always trying to figure out how to how to add that in. You know, I mean, we're not perfect with them, but we're trying to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I love that. That's not funny. Like, well, I would I would probably die if some if one of my favorite like companies called me. That would be definitely day making. Yeah, like I'm Thank thinking of my favorite fashion line right now. I'm thinking of my favorite fashion line and like the founder I'm like obsessed with. And I'm just like, man, when is she gonna call me? I've spent so much on her, yeah. her clothes. Come on. Okay. So throughout this episode, there's like a constant theme that I'm picking up when you speak and it really inspired me. I get the sense that you're somewhat of a futurist, meaning like you predicted CBD, you predicted digital marketing, you predicted, you know, healthy food being delivered to our door. And you predicted these things, you know, in some cases, like decades or decades ahead of when they, they became mainstream. What are you most excited about when you think to the future right now? And maybe that's, you know, within consumer goods or, or maybe it's within digital marketing. I would love to hear you speak on that. Wow. I am like, oh my gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to tell Clay after this that somebody called me a futurist. I love this. <laughs> It's so sweet. That's like such a nice term, but but it is. I've always thought I just, I have like an idea and I can like see the white hole in the market or the hole in the market. And I'm like, okay, we got to go fill that. Like that's a need. I just always feel like I could feel the need. So I guess it's like a, yeah, that's such an awesome term for it. I anticipate trends. I love anticipating what's going to happen. So I think what I'm seeing next with social, and I'm sure uh, many people are kind of feeling into this who are are intuitive to the market and and in the wellness or personal development space, I think, I think things are a pendulum and I think things are always going to go back and forth. And I think what's going to be really trendy for products and services and personal brands and influencers is being so authentic and real that you don't feel like it's a highlight reel as much anymore. So I think with our company, for example, we were going to hire this guy to do these really expensive one minute ad videos on our new website coming up. And it's going to be a one minute video for each product. And I was like, Mike, let's do them on our iPhone. He's like, what do you mean? They have to look so professional. And I'm like, no, what actually converts higher we've seen with our ads is not the ones where we paid $20,000 and we were in a studio and we looked all, you know, hello, like all 
proper. It's the ones where I was just like, hey, you guys need this. This is great. I use this. And it's just, I think that relatability factor is what's going to sell more products. I think it's what people are craving now with so much fake stuff on the internet. So I'm encouraging us at Soul to do that. Hey, Mike, let's go live more. Hey, let's just show us on our iPhones, talking about the product on the sales page. I think if it's good content and it's honest and it's relatable, I think it's going to do well. And so that's kind of what I think is is going to be the next thing. And then we're noticing video is obviously on, on, on the upswing. I mean, it's always been, but Instagram and TikTok are obviously blowing up with the video, um, with video. I mean, TikTok's only video, but Instagram even more so now with Reels. So I do think the future is going to be relatability, video, I think hopefully, and I love this. And I think more companies are doing this, adding comedy in, just adding um, humor into their brand, just not being so stiff and so professional with their stuff. So yeah, that's kind of like what we're anticipating as far as like the DTC space and what we're seeing. And in the wellness space, especially we're seeing things just going more towards feeling more real and relatable versus like overly produced or overly professional ads and things like that, where I think that worked a few years ago, but now people are being hit with so much information that it's not, you know, it's not, it just doesn't catch people's eye anymore. So I think everything's a pendulum. I think because we've got, you know, crypto and NFTs and you have so much that's going so beyond what a lot of us can even uh, understand. I think what will stay real is uh, what's simple and what's real, if that makes sense. So that's kind of what I anticipate, but I don't know, like, you know, any new apps or what I think in that regard that's going to come out. I, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with that, but that's what I think as far as at least what I think is going to, yeah, if that makes sense. It does. It makes so much sense. And I love that you like shared on authenticity and like kind of the, the rawness or like the behind the scenes, like the the real, real, especially with the, the crypto NFT, like all of this. I don't know if you've seen like these fully digital influencers that brands are creating that they're not actually real humans. They look like real humans and we don't even know that they're what? not real humans. Oh my oh, God. I'll send you an article. It freaks me out. I'm like, could I be following somebody that's not a real person and thinking they're a real person? Yeah, like to your point, like the pendulum's gonna swing. Like some people are gonna latch onto that and others are gonna be like, no, like I'm ready to live in the real world. Like a little bit longer. I'm not ready for this just yet. Yeah. I that that creates. I'm also an influencer for other brands, right? So I'm seeing it from both sides. Like I do this for brands and then I also hire influencers for my own brand to do this. So it's like very interesting when I'm like, huh, what's working? And it is funny when it's um, not doing less, but it's being just, yeah. And that word is thrown around so much now. It's like, you know, like authenticity. What does that even mean? But I, I think it's just being so you that people don't feel like it is an ad. And so brands will even say like, how did this convert so well? Or we will see that our highest converting, you know, affiliate for Soul, like she's not doing what the other affiliates doing, which is more, you know, professional or fake looking, I guess you could say, but it's working. And we're like, and, and so we study that, like, why is that working? Why? And we, we always root it down to, oh, they trusted her because it was just so, it was just so honest and it was authentic to her. It wasn't super scripted, I guess I should say. And so even with a lot of our ads, you know, I'm against scripting them too much. I'm like, hey, let's script them, but let's add in this element of it feels like it's not scripted too, because I don't want to feel like we are robots selling to people. I think people are so sick of that and they're craving the real as possible human connection. I completely agree. One of the, the questions that's coming up for me right now is hearing you talk is you are definitely the kind of person that learns lessons, iterates, implements, learns no new lessons, iterates, implements. What are the, some of the biggest lessons that the universe is putting in front of you right now? 
Ooh, that's a good one. <sighs> I'm really obsessed with the concept of seasons right now. You know, when I started this, I was 19. So I was in obviously different headspace. I'll be 32 in March. So I think, you know, I just, I, my, my desires for work and what I do and life balance are just very different now. And I'm realizing that's okay. And I don't want to work all the time and I don't want to do what I did at 20, you know, and I'm sure you're the same. I think a lot of people go through seasons where it changes and you're like, all right, this, what worked when I was 22, isn't what I want to be doing at 32. And so I'm really leaning into seasons with entrepreneurship and even wellness and soul and just everything. I'm like, Hey, there's winter and summer outside. There's going to be winter and summer for us. There's going to be seasons where I'm resting more. There's going to be seasons where I'm pushing more. There's going to be seasons where we're spending more money. There's going to be seasons where then it pays off. We made more money. Everything is cyclical. And I used to never think that way. I was an extremist. Everything was either, you know, A or B. It was just very uh, on or off. It was just, everything was an extreme. And I'm now sitting in the middle with a lot of things like, oh, it can be both. Like I, I'm embracing duality, the and sign, even with my personal brand, like even how you you echo, I, I don't want to be put in a box. I want to be able to kind of dance in a few different faces and do a few different things. And before I was like, no, I have to pick one thing and be one thing. And just trying to be, trying to not, trying to resist the seasons and trying to resist duality, I guess you could say. So that's, I mean, that might seem to be a little woo, but that's kind of the lesson that's been coming through to me lately in the last few months. I love that. My my husband calls me a hippie pretty much daily. He's like, woo. And I'm like, but also like very pragmatic at the same time. So yeah, I always say I'm like crunchy and I'm a realist. I'm like very on this earth, but I'm also like super crunchy and I'm, you know, using all my crunchy products and I want to have like a whole birth and stuff. Like I'm super crunchy, but I'm also like, I'm real. I'm here, you know, we're here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, Angie, you're so extraordinary. This has been like, honestly, a lot of fun for, for me. I'm so inspired by you, so inspired by what you've created so far and, and so excited to continue supporting you. If there's a listener that's like really resonating with everything that you said and wants to support you by buying your products or come hang out with you online, where can they find you? Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, you guys can go to mysoulcbd.com. They'll be changing soon. We're actually going to be soul wellness or soul health soon. So that's exciting. We're have a, we'll have a new brand name she's been working on it's a headache but hopefully that is finalized soon but for now it's mysoulcbd.com or at mysoulcbd on instagram and then you can always come say hi on instagram at angie lee show yeah or listen to the podcast or angielee.com but yeah send me a dm let me know if this was helpful and i can't wait to hear from you guys thank you so much for being here if you loved this podcast and i truly hope you did Make sure you're subscribed so you'll be the first to know every time we drop new episodes. And if you haven't already, head over to pmschoolpod.com and subscribe to our newsletter so we can keep you in the loop as we release new PM School resources, invites to events, and trips abroad. If you're feeling extra generous, please leave us a review because it really makes an impact on our ability to book epic guests and keep this mission in motion. Last, but certainly not least, if you feel so moved, take a picture of yourself wherever you're listening and tell us what your biggest takeaways are by tagging us on Instagram at PM School Podcast. All right, until next time, go be epic. We see you. We support you. Cheers.